Happy Monday to everyone, and welcome to our First Mover Cyber Monday e-commerce newscast series for everything that's happened, at least that we know of, as of today, uh, June 13th, 2022. almost had to double check that. Uh, I feel like I almost skipped all the days in between, but very excited to be back with all of you, either live and or on demand, as that's how we make all of our First Mover events, trying to make sure that they can fit your busy schedule. Uh, while still empowering you with that, the, the knowledge or the insight or the headlines or whatever the, the objective is um, of the event in question so that you can be empowered in your leadership going forward with your brands or in your company. So thank you all for joining us. Very excited uh, to, to kick off all the awesome headlines that we've seen over the last month. Um, we've got always got a lot of new people to the first mover community, even though you're not f- new first movers in the industry. Uh, First Mover is your satellite center of excellence for CPG e-commerce education and change management. Um, We do things like the public events, the ones you're attending right now, as well as strategy events, category-specific, retailer-specific events, all free to brands to attend. You can see all of those at firstmover.com forward slash events. Um, we, We just wrapped up our health and beauty event last week. We had Walmart focused event in, in May, uh, Amazon in April, and, and then we've got a lot more in store for you to come. So we've got our public events. We do uh, custom trainings for CPG uh, you know, organizations and agencies to help bring everyone up either to, you know, from Padwan to Jedi or Jedi to Yoda, whatever level you need to go to globally, locally, whatever function, whatever seniority, we, we do programs for almost everyone, it would seem at this point, over 65 companies strong and counting, um, would love to help support your organization, help everyone come over that change curve. And we also end up finding ourselves supporting with a lot of advisory too, um, to help uh, with capability assessment, strategy, building, planning, um, you, you name it, we do it, or we'll help you get to someone who can do it because we also are nerds and know almost everybody in this space. So um, if we can help you in any way beyond joining us today for Cyber Monday, uh, please let us know. Um, you can always get in contact with us um, at hello at firstmover.com. But while it's not about us, you will hear our voices today. We are two fellow first movers uh, like you who fought in the trenches and now are still fighting in the trenches, but arguably get to help uh, bring some air cover in through education and capability. Uh, my name is Chris Perry. I'm a chief learning officer and a co-founder here. I've led e-commerce sales and marketing across Reckitt wellness pet company, Kellogg's, and then got to work with a lot of the rest of you in the, in the industry when, when leading uh, executive education at Edge by Essential before co-founding First Mover two years ago. Um, I'm joined by my partner in crime, Oscar Kaszubski, who's our chief growth officer and a fellow co-founder who's been in the digital space for two decades and led e-commerce across Kimberly Clark, Mondelez, and Kellogg's as well. Um, so we if nothing else, we're two relevant voices, you know, I would say, you know, kind of crawling through the headlines of everything going on each month and trying to bring you some of that consolidated so what, now what for us in the brand community or on whatever side of the table you're supporting uh, the CPG industry and excited to kick us off today. Um, as mentioned, we've got a whole calendar of events. We'll take a small hiatus over the summer with some of our bigger summits, but we've got some pop-up events coming and we share those out with anybody who's registered with events. And um, so we don't, we won't spam you in any way, just letting you know of of free events for you to join as we go forward. But our, our, our bigger summits coming up will be another Amazon event, a new Amazon event in September, um, Target in October, and then Pet in November. And then like I said, we'll have a lot of other pop-up events as we've, we've added many, um, over the course of the last several months and have many more planned for you. So if nothing else, uh, welcome to Cyber Monday, but we hope to see you and your colleagues and anyone else um, at our other events. So let's talk Cyber Monday and the news you're about to see. So for anybody who's joining us and is very you know familiar with how we frame the news, we typically see headlines that sound cool, but often sound, I don't want to say irrelevant, but disconnected. Like, you hear the word Amazon and then did something crazy and that's awesome. But like, how does that fit into the fabric of like what that means for me? Is that piece of news even relevant to me? Does that matter? 
should I keep that in my long-term memory or should I let that dump into, you know, the, the parking lot of great things if they really pan out? And so, um, and there's always going to be some of that in there, right? There's always going to be some cool PR stunts that don't really materialize, but we really frame the news into three buckets. You'll see that today, really supporting our thesis that is literally coming true without us trying to make it true that winning in-store or winning offline really requires winning online first. And that's for three key buckets of reasons. One, digital is driving. Digital is influencing everything, which is then shrinking our shelf physically, perceptively, uh, organically, right, as paid search and paid retail media uh, rises. And then at the same time, e-commerce and digital lower the barrier to entry. So you've got a lot more rivalry and competition. And all of that keeps driving more digital because the rivalry is coming from digital and the shelf is starting digital. And so then digital keeps fueling it. So this is almost our mini news flywheel. At some point, there'll be some other influencers and this might get more complicated, even though we'll keep it simple. But you'll see our news kind of framed in these three buckets. Every once in a while, a headline could go into two or three, um, but usually they fall into one or two. And this just helps tell that story because often it's the story that, telling that we need to be better at, not that we knew the information. So let's get started today. So obviously, e-commerce continues to grow. Yes, there's been maybe a little bit of softening of the forecast, A, because of some incorrect forecasts. So let's be clear, always double check the numbers because we saw some that were uh, restated back up after they were made low. So there was initial sigh of relief from everyone in brick and mortar as maybe e-com won't be growing as fast, but actually that was wrong and it will. But there is some softening in the sense that we're off a bigger base. We've got a recession very much likely looming unless anyone can solve that, which would make you a millionaire. But, um, and, um, you know, we, we've got uh, just, just the inherent, the speed of e-commerce is now being met with the speed of investment and the speed of infrastructure, which may or may not be perfectly in place yet for national explosion of e-commerce, but we're getting there. But what is interesting, um, and, and some, some news really that I think Target kind of got the flashpoint here in the last week, but with the consumer demand being so high in e-commerce and in general over the last many months, despite inflation and some of the looming recession, we saw a lot of retailers buying up inventory so not to be in the same position they were during COVID uh, when, when there was a supply shortage because of challenges, but also um, to try to meet that rising demand that is now starting to slow because of the likely recession. So what was really interesting without making you memorize all of the right chart, I just thought this was really interesting how how much inventory had increased year over year in Q1 of 2022 versus how much sales had increased for most of our major retailers, right? We're looking at like pretty significant double digit increase in inventory when looking at much, much lower single digit growth in, in sales, you know, POS sales, if not negative, depending on the retailer. And so obviously when you have a situation like that, if unmanaged, you can, you can become upside down very quickly. So Target was one of several retailers um, but Target was the one, obviously, being a pretty large gorilla in the room who made news sharing with investors that it actually was going to go ahead and assume and, and count their their, pro their profit margin expectations to be lower, actually at about 2% versus the 5 to 6% that they were bullish on before. And as a result, they were going to slash prices on a lot of goods to try to kind of purge the inventory they had. And they were actually canceling a lot of incoming orders. Some of you out there, I know at your organizations have felt a, a large brunt of that uh, recently, depending on your category and how, how in stock you were available at Target specifically. So uh, where this obviously has a lot of challenges in and of itself is the, the, the purging of inventory at lower prices sounds great from a retail perspective, except obviously later it may bite you in the butt when you can't sell to those who've already bought now at a lower price, but it's also the price matching reality, right? As, as a target decides to mark down specific items, if they're not exclusive or differentiated, everyone will be marked down at that same level and may not, and everyone else may not be able to suffer that 
lack of profitability, right? Which all of us who've dealt with this and cried about this similarly know very, very well. So it's, it's a very interesting situation right now where everyone's trying to right the ship, but that writing the ship can have like months and months of, and, and for some companies, maybe years of, of impact. And so Oscar, I don't know if you had any thoughts on this too, but a uh, very interesting story kind of uh, percolating right now. No, it's, it's, it's like a three-dimensional chess game, right? This is what's happening. So, you know, we knew during the pandemic, a lot of people would stay at home. So certain category would rise up, but then the government was pumping money into the economy, trying to reboot it. Um, while we had a massive supply chain crisis, right? So the retailers wanted to be much more conservative and order ahead. But for whatever reason, everybody missed that if the government is pumping a lot of money into the economy, right? And then you have, of course, things like, you know, war in, in Russia, in Ukraine, you have a situation is where inflations will spike, you know, spike. So it, it, it's fascinating, like in a hindsight, right? Target should not be in a position of 43%, you know, inventory increase year over year. Um, someone somewhere had to run that simulation to kind of understand what's the right decision. It's, um, hindsight is, of course, always twenty twenty. So what I think is going to happen is because of those, there's a lot of people that will be very conservative in terms of their spending because they are worried about the future. But you're going to have also a lot of people buying ahead because they know, you know what, I might not be able to afford those items in the next year because of, you know, the credit might be more expensive, etc. So I think it's going to be like a lot of people will jump on those promotions and buy out the inventory. And then we kind of going to go into a little bit of an equilibrium after that. If anybody out there is thinking, you know, that we should start a really strategic 3P uh, operation on, on a marketplace or two, uh, let us know. Because, you know, who, who could hurt for a little extra cash, you know? I think we could do some retail arbitrage like some of those coupon moms and be really successful. So um, so what else, Oscar? What else do we have? Yeah, so, you know, as, as, as always, we have a lot of, you know, news when it comes into food, restaurants, you know, meal preparation, etc., I mean, we we now see Grubhub is launching their own virtual restaurant, which is not not surprise. We know dark restaurants do make sense, uh, just because of you know the much lower overhead in terms of running them, and you know Grubhub has the captive audience, um, and you know they they doing this smartly because it's under the MasterChef um, brand, you know, and, and that helps quite a bit. So. I, I suspect there's going to be more and more startups like this. Um, it, it'd be I'd be very kind of interested to see how the food service will react into how to really service those types of dark restaurants. Are they going to go through the uh, traditional, you know, food service channels, the Gordon Foods, etc., um, Cisco? So I'd be I'd be kind of curious how that's going to actually play out. But I expect more and more of that happening. The next um, secondary is you know Kroger is partnering with Market Wagon in Atlanta, in my hometown which I actually got to test this. And they are basically trying to resell local farmers, um, you know, in terms of their what, what inventory of produce they have and, and help to kind of connect it. And to be honest, you know, I'm very well embedded within the entrepreneurship space. And I see a lot of tech, e-commerce, digital kind of uh, innovation happening locally now where, you know, I talk to a lot of the entrepreneurs and they want to basically uh, build a new business model and they want to test it only in, you know, Atlanta, you know, Dallas, etc. They don't really want a broader kind of a, um, a reach when it comes into that. So I, I suspect, you know, Kroger is doing the same thing as they're just trying to see if, if this model can stick. But when it comes into innovation, there is definitely a massive kind of a outburst of a lot of those innovations of connecting local farmers and using technology to connect to consumers and we see those startups popping up you know quite a bit now on 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 another another front around shopper engagement i'm very excited about this particularly because and i say this with the utmost love for albertson's and safeway because to be to be fair going back to my early days at record they were one of my best early early partners and early jvps in the e-commerce space even even for some of their, you know, I would say early maturity, 
in the digital shelf space. And so whenever I do education on the digital shelf at whatever level, you know, obviously Albertsons and some of the regional grocery retailers have been on that on that early side of progression in terms of their capabilities on the digital shelf, right? Kroger uh, is, is progressing a little bit further than they've been, but they don't have all the same enhanced content capabilities that that obviously an Amazon or a Target or even a Walmart in, in the middle of this integration and relaunch of some of their capabilities. But what was exciting to hear, um, and I know Albertsons knows they're trying to work on this uh, actively, but they have added uh, uh, consumer-generated reviews. Um, and the syndication, more importantly, th- through the bizarre voices and power reviews of the world, which is really important because uh, obviously – as anyone knows, you know, if you're going, if you were going to review a product, you might review it on a larger platform. It's less frequently you're going to review it on a smaller platform or one where you're buying things that you typically buy and don't necessarily need to research or review for the first time. So I've already actually seen this in prepping a few uh, decks for various companies. Um, I've already seen their reviews syndicate and literally a few weeks ago, they weren't live. So it's quite cool to see uh, that that reviews are now live on on Albertsons. That's an, another checked box of capability that they can grow to help drive conversion as they push into retail media and try to activate against all their banners. Um, so that's an exciting thing to see. They also more recently added um, schedule and save. So they are one of the o- one of the only other retailers outside of the pet category and the direct to consumer sites and like shaving and whatnot who have a subscription capability like Amazon. So to be honest, I, you know, knowing that they've already started creating this pipeline of innovation, their, 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 their site may be ahead of the game very, very quickly, even ahead of some of the other large, uh, yeah, I would say grocery retailers, if not on par with some of the national mass retailers. So kind of cool to see. Um, and then also uh, Instacart, as they push their ecosystem and prep for IPO and, and, and blow out more and more capabilities. They've actually enhanced their retail media capabilities with shoppable video ads um, and enhanced display ads on top of their paid search and some of their other like traditional capabilities. So obviously, you know, all of these have to be vetted as, as anything would, but this starts to buy us some slightly higher funnel, you know, maybe more consideration awareness opportunities, uh, which if, you have to convince anyone internally is possible in e-commerce. You can build brands here. Um, in fact, many people do <laughs> to the point that the big CPGs want to buy these challenger brands. So um, knowing that Instacart is a great challenger platform for anybody who can lean in as well and get that scale across lots of retailers, this is a great you know new inventory to tap into and potentially new new audiences for different objectives and missions. So it'll be cool to see uh, some of the results from some of the early campaigns come back as we work with a lot of companies and get to see some of that. So, of course, you know, every single retailer out there is trying, you know, something new. So one of the things you have to understand is that no matter whatever, if we have a recession or anything like this, recession usually creates a lot of drive to create digital innovation, right? And actually, a lot of the retailers might actually spend that time to either drive some innovation by cutting the cost um, or, or just basically better utilization of technology. So uh, we don't expect that to change. So we have a few of the examples of some of that innovation that keeps continuing and, and will continue when it comes into retailers. So Amazon uh, Fashion is testing the virtual try-ons for shoes, which is a fantastic idea. We have the tech. Um, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, a, a lot of people, you know, especially my son is like a sneaker head, you know, he would love to even see or, or play with it or, you know, share it. Uh, but to be honest, you know, for me, the, the key there is like, what's the shareable, uh, you know, kind of like a component of this? Can this be turned into a social, you know, social media uh, content, which I think that could actually have a lot of stickiness to it. Because then if they were smart, they could actually make that post, or, you know, uh, basically shoppable right away on Amazon, right? That's that's what I would do. It's like I would basically use the camera to do a virtual try-on, turn it into social media post, right? And make the social media post shoppable, you know, full circle. It's like a, um, a revenue multiplier for retailers. So I, I'm a big um, kind of a proponent of this. Then we have um, Klarna really looking at, you know, um, 
basically um, all of the different tools that they're actually bringing in, um, you know, they're connecting better the in-store app, um, as well as, you know, they're, uh, you know, with the staffers and the virtual shoppers and, and all it's all about kind of understand, uh, you know, the behavior. It's understand, you know, what to do with this, you know, when it comes into like product um, guidance and uh, different purchases. So I think from that perspective, um, getting the stored employees being involved into video calls and live chat um, and connecting, you know, retail versus online. That really makes makes sense, and I honestly think this is some some of those new dynamics that that you know we actually can see more and more. I would actually love to see uh, Best Buy, you know, or any other retailer, um, Lowe's, Home Depot, you know, that there might be specific questions and maybe better connectivity with the brands, you know, through live chat, through video, uh, because any any uh, item that is highly technical, you know, that sometimes requires a you know quick question, you know, that that could be an interesting way. So. I honestly think that can actually um, has a lot of legs, and and we I would love to see more and more technology where actually um, brands can be connected to the consumers through the retailer sites, you know, on a broader basis. And then we have HMN is piloting, a, you know, a, in some of the COS stores. So they're doing um, really with the smart mirrors, which is not a new concept, um, but we see more and more, um, you know, companies really getting into machine vision. An augmentation, you know, where you can actually change the size, change the color, really kind of have this whole virtual experience. Um, you know, we have companies like Mirror um, being very successful within, um, you know, the fitness, you know, world. And I think actually Mirror is now owned by Lulu, Lulu Lemon. Um, but I, I would expect more and more brands will actually try um, do that kind of level of personalization, you know, to do, to do an experience in the store that you know you might not. Think they might not have specific color, they might not have specific size, you know, let you kind of a try it on. And then the last one is, you know, uh, which is kind of funny that it's of all the day today, that Chipotle is going to accept cryptocurrency, which I don't know if you kind of pay attention, but, you know, Bitcoin went all the way down today to 23,000, which is, I think, the lowest since beginning of 2020. So there's definitely a massive pressure on the crypto market. Um, that it's melting um, quite a bit, you know, from its height. So we'll see how often things like this will continue, you know, and, and do we going to see a lot of other, um, you know, retailers and restaurants, you know, QSRs actually, you know, accepting cryptocurrency because it might get devaluated really quick. So the question of convenience, it's it's questionable. We'll, we'll see how that's going to play out and we'll see if that's going to be uh, as a continued trend kind of going forward. Oscar, one, one interesting thing that in my head was prompted by the Amazon fashion uh, virtual try-on example is, so arguably in the metaverse, which I know we, you keep hearing about and, and obviously is a real thing, and it's just a matter of how fast and fully adopted that becomes, but in, in the metaverse, you wouldn't necessarily have to own a whole lot of real things because you'd have you know, these non-fungible tokens, you'd have these assets you'd bought virtually. And so your entire avatar could be made up of shoes and other things that don't really exist in your real life. You could literally be arguably naked at home with nothing, but like look like you were, you had everything in the world in this metaverse. But then there's like this pre-meta stage where I feel like, maybe this sounds silly, but if, 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 my, if, if I'm not seeing everyone, I really could be seen uh, like physically and I just tried on all these items and, and like you were saying, like shared them to become shoppable. Who's to say I actually have to own any of this stuff. Like I, I so it's almost like the it's pre meta because it's really not the virtual it's, it's partly virtual self, right. Um, in, in a social media world, but you could almost like take a picture of everything and it be, gets augmented to whatever you want it to be, but you don't really own it. Um, which maybe sounds stupid, but arguably people do a lot of this stupid stuff for show anyway. So what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Just where like, it's almost just to pose that you have this stuff because it looks good in the pictures that were taken, but not necessarily actually owned and, and invested in. I mean, in a way, it's a, a copyright infringement, right? It's, it's not a copyright. It's an ownership infringement. <laughs> <laughs> because you're basically suggesting you lo- you own an item, and and think about it is within metaverse, 
that's going to be a big question when it comes into ownership, digital rights, right? If you post a picture, but you don't own the assets, are you kind of implying that you own the assets? Uh, there's going to be some, some new laws and new behaviors that need to be kind of rewritten for sure. So this is hopefully, well, if, if we think about this now, maybe we can get in on it, you know, all of us uh, on, the, on, the, on our call today. Um, so this makes me think of uh, Michael Scott and, and Holly Flax in the office dancing to let's get <laughs> physical, let's get digital, right? So I, we, we know I'm, I'm asked every time I do training with anybody that's not necessarily already an e-com Jedi, and it's not bad, it's like, like, what's the role of the store, right? What, you know, and, and how do we, how are we using the store? So the, obviously we're, we'll talk to some of the ways the store will evolve, but when we think of online to offline or offline to online excellence, right? The store and, and online come together in one seamless or should omni-channel experience. And we do see a lot of, uh, you, you, I would say, digital organizations going digital as well. Um, so, so various examples, Instagram is actually pop hosting a pop-up shop in New York, um, in NYC, um, as a celebration of its kind of its own social commerce capabilities, its Instagram shop uh, abilities. And it's actually selling various home beauty accessories and fashion brands. So it's, it's really more of an experience to celebrate its abilities in social commerce. But Again, it's it's using it's a physical location to tap into at least a, a decent number of you know mass shoppers out there. Obviously, in New York City, Google is opening one of its first retail stores um, in Brooklyn um, as one of its neighborhood store uh, models that that it had announced in the past. Um, and and again, this will be uh, again a location like one would would would. Would, would look at an Apple or how Amazon bookstores were serving uh, the community before they, before they transitioned, you know, that serves uh, the local community, but can be a place for a brand experience, seating some of their devices. And, and, as, and they had talked about tours and workshops and other things, both on their products, but also in other times. So arguably something like, you know, it's really interesting as I read this, it's almost like Google could become the future library. Like, like your lot, because what aren't they the source of all information, right? You went to your library, A, because it had information, B, because of events and things that were hosted there for both kids and adults. So kind of an interesting idea. It became, becomes like a neighborhood, a safe space, a neighborhood uh, community center. Um, obviously, we'll have to see how much they scale this, but that would be kind of an interesting, almost the physical version of the Google search bar everywhere. Um, and then Amazon, um, as we know, shuttered all of their stores outside of Fresh Go and Whole Foods. So they lost their books, their pop-up stores, um, their four-star stores, but are, do have their eye and now have officially launched their first Amazon-style store. Again, actually tapping in some of those uh, you know, digital components in store. Um, they, you can, with the app, you can send items to the fitting room. Um, browse as you shop. So again, it's not replacing the store, but enhancing the store of digital and letting the store in this category enhance what amazon.com can't do, um, right? Even with all their try before you buy and now this try on feature, all things that are great for friction, but still don't necessarily get that discovery and that, that personalized feel that you get from going in and trying things on and experiencing the touch and feel of the clothes and, and the fashioning person. So just really cool to see, you know, some of these are pop-ups on pers- purpose. Some of these are pilots. I, I have no doubt Amazon will learn something from this and pivot in the future into something different or slightly related. So it'll be interesting to see how these all play out, but just even the big tech or, you know, giants are playing into some of these areas as well and using the store to augment their business. I do. I do like your idea of, um, Google running library, because think about it is like when you actually go to a, you know, local public library, a lot of the times they actually do have, um, you know, ebooks, e-readers, which I honestly think Google should always get into it. So, I mean, would it Amazon or Google, like any other tech company get in into, you know, becoming a library and, you know, books becoming actually, there's a little bit of a challenge with books with sustainability, um, you know, and 
hey, if we have an option to read something electronically versus a physical book, should we be actually pushing physical book at all, despite that people might be nostalgic about it? But it's not necessarily as sustainable, right, if we are trying to create a really sustainable uh, planet. So it'd be interesting to concept to actually figure out if there is a business model there that could satisfy both the public interest as well as the tech interest. And, and that in the future, owning a real book, like a physical book, will be a sign of wealth, the same way it was back in the old days when having a book meant that you were very wealthy because nobody you, they were handwritten or obviously printed in, in, in small batches, right? But um, what would be interesting to your point, Oscar, just as, as a final comment on this is like, arguably, if you were, should a physical book cost more in the future so that some of the money goes to offset what it took to produce it from a carbon footprint or a replanting of the tree or whatnot. And then, and, but, but like you said, there's almost a tiered option of like, it costs less to get digital, which it does obviously in, in most cases, but it costs less, but it's tiered on purpose to try to shift you into buying digital where you really aren't going to own the book. But if you love the book so much, you can buy it. And it's kind of like, it sustains itself. It, which is kind of cool. I, I have no doubt that that, that will happen. That you know, you said it's a sign. You said it's a sign of wealth. I, I think it might be sign of vanity a little bit. You know, owning mm-hmm. a book. It, the same thing. Think about it. It's going to happen with meat potentially, right? We know. You know, in the future, thirty, forty years from now, being you know being able to eat meat might be. Uh, I don't know how you call it, a vanity, or might a be luxury. way way less. You know, maybe luxury. It might happen way less of you know frequent versus what what's happening today. Um, so it's 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 definitely as part of evolution, but you know we have to kind of see where we're going to be evolved and what would be the driver. Is it the sustainability? Is it the practicality? Is it economy? Is it you know maybe morality? Because you know like a lot of people don't eat meat not because you know they are worried about the planet because for them it's it's not moral. Right. So it's going to be like Waterworld with Kevin Costner, where like if you can get dirt or paper, (laughs) you're going to be a king or queen. Again, Um, it's it's, as everything, everything is about perceived value. Right. So the perceived value over time uh, changes. You know, I had I had a just um, dinner the other day with one of the professors at NYU Stern. and, And she said, it's like, hey, the perceived value of Picasso today is great. But Picasso was really an asshole, you know. Maybe in the future, we're not going to perceive value of an asshole that high. So value of Picasso paintings might actually go down because we're going to be valuing different things. So it, it was interesting, you know, perceive value and how it changes over time. So with, with this is why this is very connected. Like as we see digital going in-store. We also see in-store enhancing their physical environment. So, Oscar, what do we see in this space? Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of the usual suspect a lot of the times, right? So, we know Amazon is working on that contactless payment uh, solutions, which I always find it funny. It's like, it's like wireless charging, you know. We're trying to do contactless or wireless charging, but you still have to connect two physical things together, right? Uh, so, they are trying yeah. to kind of, um, you know, roll this out at Whole Foods and being able to do, do this fully. But it's not necessarily the same way as um, Amazon Go at the moment. It's the, the technology is changing quite a bit. Then, um, Albertson, um, you know, is doing a little bit more classical, you know, Amazon Go. So, you can just kind of walk up, you know, and without actually going through the, through the checkout. So, that's actually changing, you know, quite a bit, which is, you know, the, the traditional Amazon Go. You just walked away. Uh, but I think, you know, the, the tech is there. Machine, my computer vision, machine vision is, is there. It's, but if you haven't noticed, Amazon Go, what was the first one? 2015, 2016? We have not seen a mass adoption. It's very hard to scale that level of innovation, um, you know, across all of the different stores. Although I was the other day out, I was at Lowe's and Home Depot, and I noticed that every single checkout line is basically cashierless. But that's that's drives by something else, that there's not enough people to work at the moment. So, you know, you had to use the self-checkout, which is kind of ironic that that's actually, you know, being scaled quite a bit, that it's it's, it's becoming a luxury to actually get a somebody that can actually ring your items. Um and then, you know, Dollar General, 
um, is also doing that. And then 7-Eleven is actually doing something interesting for me, which is um, they are actually trying to see if they can personalize each individual store depending on that community needs. And, and, and you know, basically the idea is that none of their location would be alike. Um, they would be really have a different product mix, uh, you know, different designs. But again, that's very expensive to, to be able to do this. Um, I could see this, you know, using maybe the same tech footprint, right? And using tech, you know, to create that level of personalization. But when it comes into like physical personalization of actual s- store, I'm a little bit more skeptical when it comes into that. I, I, I know we've said this before, but for a lot of our categories, I know we don't like, and I would say for a lot of our categories, the convenience channel like 7-Eleven and a number of the others, A, is fragmented, but there are some big players like you know, like 7-Eleven who command a large share of that. It's not one of those retailers that all of us necessarily touch because historically it's been a brick and mortar based uh, kind of a unique channel because it also had the food service component. And so having worked with a couple of companies where, you know, in food and bed, especially where 7-Eleven is a big part of their business, so it's almost kind of like e-com. It's been this like separate group, almost a little bit of the wild west, not because it's not structured, but like it's just its own group of people that run it and own it and master it. But what's, I think 7-Eleven and, and you know, I'll, I'm happy to be wrong, but I think they're like an up and comer here because it's, it, the point is, if you can reinvent yourself to be the future of convenience, especially if you have the, the you can rest in the laurels of being convenient in the past, um, and you can get the omni-channel and last-mile delivery capabilities, which 7-Eleven has been mastering with its its Now apps and, and all of I, I could see this becoming, it's kind of like GoPuff or Instacart or, or quick commerce is relevant for impulse, but it's also just as we get to a point where it's like, I don't buy things in planned mode anymore. I kind of buy them like I do on Amazon as I spearfish. But what if I didn't have to spearfish and it's going to come randomly in a box tomorrow? It could just come later today um, without necessarily the same level of cost. So I, I, I say that I, I say I think Seven Eleven is not a, like a, like a, an underdog, but a dark horse in all honesty because I think they don't pop up in our mind as often for a lot of our categories. But who's to say they don't? become everyone's ability for their hero skews to be delivered fast in a convenient way. It's not just about gas station convenience, right? On, on the road. It's, it's whatever I need when I need it. And they may be able to serve that not only with this like physical store approach, but also, you know, be more personalized and relevant to the community, but also with their very, very omni channel table stakes and beyond abilities um, in speed and and breadth of what you need your core assortment. So I I just I, I think we're going to see a lot more from Seven Eleven, um, and they may become more important over time than we maybe in some categories than we give them credit. So um, on, on Walmart news, putting the super and super centers. Um, so Walmart, in many ways, obviously has been partnering um, to automate. You know when I say not automate, but outsource the delivery. Um, of a lot of their, you know, of their uh, online grocery, in addition to their their own capabilities to ship to home um, through DoorDash and Instacart on the back end. They've started to pilot the rollout of their micro fulfillment centers in a number of store locations that in some cases take up to 20% um, of the super center footprint. So again, not that every single super center will have one because one may be able to service a broader metro area or half of a metro area and a couple different stores. Um, but they've announced plans to build four new fulfillment centers using automation technology. While reading the article, it didn't immediately say on like to be akin to Kroger's Akato uh, central fulfillment centers. That was what I gathered from this, unless somebody else knows differently. I looked up a few articles and nobody described the size of these, but up until today, it was either no automated centers, uh, micro fulfillment centers like Walmart, uh, Wakefern, Ahold, um, you know, a number of different players have been testing these, um, or, or Kroger being uniquely the, the Akato partnered central fulfillment center, so much larger FCs that are automated with robots. 
this is interesting to see Walmart. If this is true that these are larger size, it would, it would argue mean, I don't know how, what technology they're necessarily leveraging and what, how that compares to Ocado, but obviously they're not, they're not, Kroger's not the only one with maybe this capability going forward. And so Walmart using a mix of central and store-based micro-fulfillment centers will see their capacity increase, arguably their costs go down over time, and their ability to deliver over and over again on their Walmart Plus promise and other things um, increase. So it, it's c- kind of cool to see some of this new, these some of these new back-end models uh, kind of percolating. Then um, DoorDash, of course, it's continuing their um, expansion everywhere, and they are the number one, um, basically, intermediary when it comes into, um, you know, delivery, uh, basically the largest food delivery company outside of China, and they just acquire a Helsinki um, in Finland company called Vault Enterprise Oi in all-star um, transaction. Um, so I think, you know, we're going to see more and more expansion and, and we're also going to see more and more uh, consolidation of this space as, uh, just because of where the economy is going. And I do think DoorDash, as they started piloting Dash Mart, similarly, you know, while Instacart is arguably taking this this only, I'm, I'm, I'm only partnering route, even though I may have the micro-fulfillment technology and whatnot behind the scenes, DoorDash has obviously shown that it may look into owning some inventory itself. Um, again, 7-Eleven, as we said, like we've got a lot of these, you know, GoPuff, we've got a lot of different players out there, not just US-based, who are pushing what convenience really means, right? Why does convenience assortment uniquely have to be convenient when everything else is inconvenient, right? So the whole idea of the convenience channel may be more about your speed, reach, and avail you know capacity more than than actually what products you carry. Now we we've, we've seen in the news so so the tech giants globally and locally in the US have been under scrutiny over the last several years for various things. Again, we're not here to judge outside of the fact that they have all become very powerful um, entities because none of our antitrust laws or uh, you know or any of our consumer protection laws were necessarily designed at a time when there was any concept of a company that might be as diversified and ingrained into human life and 50 different angles through 50 different angles as Apple and Meta and Google and Amazon and Alibaba and JD.com and like, so, um, so you've got a lot of, a lot of influence without it necessarily being, I own an entire industry, 80% of steel or coal or, you know, something from, you know, the early 1900s or late 1800s. So we've seen a lot of scrutiny on some of these players. And again, Amazon being one of the ones that we would care about the most for its implication on a lot of our consumer goods brands. They've been pushing back um, on, on to the U S government and other governments as they are starting to push for, um, you know, push against an Amazon and other re- uh, other tech giants for favoring their own products um, and even in some cases selling their own products. So there has been talk about the potential of breaking tech companies up from being able to sell their own product, not to mention favor their own products on their platforms, which to be totally honest in my own humble opinion, which does not count into any government voting um, at all, I do think that's probably a good idea. Um, a, because breaking up the bells, if you will, um, like Bell Atlantic in the past, you know, breaking up the bells, does, you know, whenever you create competition, you create innovation and you create, you, you do protect the consumer in some way. When you let them all continue to rise, um, maybe maybe not with criminal intent, but with with obviously, you know, no, no constraint, right? That, that there's no... It's, I, I don't want to say there's no innovation, but there's there's no ultimate protection against consumers as there hasn't been a playbook like an Amazon's before, right? Um, so it, it, we're seeing some some pushback from Amazon on this um, as as it was not just against Amazon but against any big tech companies. Um, but I, I think there will ultimately have to be some sort of decision on this because again, it doesn't matter that you have one percent of the product assortment. It's if you're winning the digital shelf through 
knowing how to hack the system or favoring your own products, pinning your items to the digital shelf as some retailers do. Um, you, you can tank, a, like a brand doesn't exist, right? If you go to page two or row three of, of a retailer's site. So I'm ge generally in favor of it being truly a shelf democracy, but just giving brands and their own private brands the same fair chance to market. But it may have to take breaking them up or preventing them from being able to sell private brands under the same entity. So it'll be interesting to see. Oscar, did you have any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean... You know, you know me when it comes into government regulations, right? I'm, I'm, I'm usually against the regulations, but here's an interesting uh, factor. Number one is if you actually go to Costco and see how Costco is actually pushing Kirkland brand, for me, that's fairly similar situation, right? This, it's more of a broader issue of store-owned brands, right, versus anything else. Right. So that's number one. Number two is um, I, I think there's going to be a challenge to to you know like to kind of set the specific guardrails when it comes into this right it's just like uh, because you know amazon's going to come back and say it's like well you know we're using the money to reinvest you know so that that's a little bit of a it, it's it's going to be a little bit of a challenge when it comes into kind of economy you know to say to give to, they're going to be giving an argument that, that that allows them to to make more profit which then influences also that they're able to keep prices lower just everywhere else, right? Just using the profit. Right. Because, you know, if you think about it, it's like what well, it would make sense immediately would actually make sense to say it's like, hey, Amazon cannot subsidize using Amazon Cloud, the retail business, you know, which has been a conversation for years and years. But I also question the timing because their potential valuation of all of those tech giants shaved off 50%. Right. So it, it seems like it's not as big of an issue. Like it's it's almost it seems like the tech reckoning happened by itself. But the, the problem to your point, Oscar, is if they don't it's if they don't make if they don't make a decision as, as the government or governments around the, the world, while they can, they, it may become increasingly impossible to 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 write you know, write, write the course later on. And I don't know, like I said, I don't know what the right answer is in full because it's more intricate than just don't let them favor their products on the digital shelf, right? It, it's, it's obviously there's probably 800 pages of nuances here, but it's just more the, like to your point, it got, it might, it might have looked like it got solved recently, but, but what happens if it goes back, right? And I, I don't, you know, it's a, uh, Arguably, a recession also opens up a lot of opportunity for anybody who plays the long game like these 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 players do. So, you know, it gives them a chance because they've got the buffer to, like, reinvest and bridge this gap while others may not be able to. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But some of it is we haven't solved uh, for a while. Right. Because one of the things that we haven't solved was that. For example, uh, Google allowing um, ad, ad competitors to advertise on branded terms, which was going on for like years and years, right? So like advertising on competitive brand terms, even right now, it's, it's becoming a big issue, right? Then the second issue is like, you know, using PDP pages uh, and, and basically um, being able to run any display ads for competitive product. Right. But I think fundamentally where the problem comes in is that there is a little bit of an issue with e-commerce because e-commerce has a problem with adjacency. In the store, if you go, go to Costco, you look at Kirkland, you don't want to buy Kirkland brand. You can look, look right, left, up, down, and you can actually select a competitor. Well, in Costco, technically is left and right because nothing is up or down. Right. But the same thing is happening, uh, the same thing ha cannot happen in e-commerce. E-commerce is really crappy when it comes into adjacency because this is very heavily search-driven, browsing-driven exercise. Well, right. The, the private label, like any any competitor, isn't sitting next to you. It's sitting in front of you. <laughs> so to your point, it pushes you down or, or drops you out of view. So it's, it's, it's not a, I could have chosen you because you were right next to me. It's you're sitting, it'd literally be like a private label were sitting in front of you on the physical shelf. And you were, you were the back two skews in the stack coming at the four, four, four products deep, right? You're the, you're the two behind the first two, right? And that's, that's where this gets really tricky. So, um, 
Now, Oscar, I, I, you already touched on some of the tools out there that our titans and retailer focus on. What, what's this new one that we, we kind of considered emerging platform and ecosystem? Yeah, so a MasterCard is working on the biometric checkout tool, um, which, you know, that technology exists, you know, for quite some time, right? If you actually go, go let's say, if you fly out, out of the country and go, uh, you know, back to the U.S., uh, you know, so a, a lot of those technologies are actually being implemented right there. Uh, even I, I was at the Atlanta airport the other day and, you know, they are actually using biometric if for whatever reason your driving license doesn't scan properly or, you know, you don't have a real ID. Uh, the tech is there. It's a little sometimes slow. There is questions of privacy. Not sure if people you know, want to be having their picture taken everywhere. But on the on the flip side, we have basically cameras everywhere. It's a little bit of a, a, a kind of a situation where we have very similarly with Google Glasses. When Google Glasses first came out, people hated it. And now, 10 years later, you know, just because of, you know, uh, what's happening kind of in terms of adoption of uh, and privacy and technology and views, you have, you know, um, other kind of, uh, startups and, and and big you know social media platforms actually relaunching the glasses again, um, so it's it's interesting to see even even Google itself is actually relaunching the glasses for the the translation project. So it's interesting you know is that going to changes? I suspect the Amazon Go technology would be better right versus just having a flat out checkout you know with the camera because then you have to make sure your face is in the ring and it's just it's it's for me it's too. It's not only obtrusive, but it's not convenient enough. It's a little bit like, you know, you go to Whole Foods and you try to scan your, you know, Amazon Prime membership barcode. And that becomes a little bit of a gymnastic and art by itself, which for me, this this doesn't help. And this is a quick one, but this was kind of cool. Again, as we said, Albertsons is making a lot of a lot of headway and in, in, in quick, you know, and to be fair, you have to give a lot of credit to these either regional players who are smaller than the big players, but also who are fragmented with lots of different banners, right? Kroger and Albertsons and Ahold. I mean, these aren't all one. It's I'm not saying it's easy for a Walmart or Target either with all their super centers or stores, but like this isn't like one business that just needs to be uniformly changed. Like this is multiple entities within, you know, with different regionalities and, and, and audiences and slightly different propositions, depending on where, what, what was the banner that was acquired a long time ago and merged together. So um, Albertson's making a lot of headway here, but uh, some news from our friends at PacView, who's now become part of Assembly recently. Um, they've added Albertson's um, to their, uh, their retail media tech capabilities. So now, you know, PacView brand clients can, um, access the Albertsons inventory and, and, and run sponsored product campaigns on their platforms, which then one of the benefits of the pack views of the world among many outside of just the, the, the expertise is that the tech can help kind of synergize the, the reporting to help you run it all and measure it all apples to apples in a one-stop shop, um, you know, which, which is the, the ultimate aim here. So um, very cool, obviously, as you know, yes, we want to hit, you know, we want to be able to reach the Amazons and Walmarts and Targets and Kroger's of the world. But what about everybody else? Right. There's a lot more in the market than just some of the the, the big four, big five, Instacart, et cetera. So how do we make sure we're we're not forgetting about where a lot of other shoppers are still are still shopping? And Albertsons has a lot of, again, whether it's digital shelf enhancements or uh, retail media or they're they're working on micro fulfillment capabilities you've got a lot of you've got a lot of potential from albertson's and, and and the like in the future so it's great to see our partners at packview and others i know tapping into albertson's inventory listen i'll be happy with albertson's once they actually fix content for me they still don't have the right direction when it comes into content what they want to do with enhanced content sometimes they go in a direction like hey we want only images on the pdp pages but it's like hey what's going to happen with search so like right. for me like it's great but I would love all of the retailers to see really focus on the basics, right? And improving that consumer experience and actually helping brands with the data that they ha- that retailers have to make better advertising decisions, marketing, building better consumer experiences. It's 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 well, still well, thing. To your point, Oscar, we, somehow we're told as a brand side to get the you know, be retail ready in the fundamentals. And I'm not saying this to be snarky because it's not like you just go flip the switch at the retailer, but I, 
why don't you take some some of your own medicine, my friends? Like, and that's not not a knock to any one retailer, but like, I'd like to be retail ready. I see a ton of awesome companies, many of whom are on today with us, uh, who are ready to go. It's just a matter of like, you know, I had the ammunition, you had no missile launcher, right? So it's uh, um, it's just interesting. Um, obviously, there will always be what I like to call a beautiful constraint. Um, because nobody can be perfect at the exact same time, but the fundamentals would be a great a, a great piece of advice for everyone to follow. And then, lastly, of course, you know, with the change in the economy, we see, and you know, people are worried about you know the future just coming out of pandemic. Uh, we see a massive increase of private label brands, right? So. Uh, BJ uh, penetration of the BJ Wholesale Club penetration of their um, private label is up to 24%, an increase almost 25% year over year. Uh, Target private label brand, it's it's basically now a $30 billion business by itself, and it's actually growing faster than any of the retailers, you know, sales in Q1. So we know especially with recession, things like this will continue. Um, not to mention that this is a several generations of those brands. The retailers are much more conscious in terms of what people really want. Um, they also do have the marketplace data too, which um, which I think helps them to make the right decisions in terms of, you know, who to target, um, you know, who to partner with, you know, when it comes into manufacturing, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I I honestly, I see this trend, you know, to uh, that will continue into the future, and I think those private label brands will get better and better, um, just because of, um, you know, especially if they can offer the value. And and I think that, to your point, Oscar, private brands. This goes right back to the whole thing Amazon's pushing back against, as 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 it makes sense that they would. Um, private brands are increasingly important for margin for differentiation, as you said, Oscar, for the value, but also the relevance and maybe being on trend in a way the national brand isn't um, on, on certain instances. But that's why we also see a lot of digitally native brands being brought in who are, aren't obviously private brands, but serve as that for a while. Uh, P&G is launching a number of quote unquote exclusive brands with Walmart for at least a period of time um, in their main categories, really like trying to differentiate what they bring so that if you know, arguably, if anyone got squeezed on the, in the center store as the shelf changes with e-commerce, would you get rid of the leading national brand, the special exclusive brand that that leading national brand gave you, brand number three, four, or five, or your private brand if you're a retail? Which one would you get rid of? Probably, uh, unless they're serving some special need, probably brands three, four, and five, right? So um, obviously, that'll be on a category-by-category category level, but now is the time to double down, create those trade-up stories, if, especially as the recession comes. Now is the time to lean in ahead of the curve. Again, if we can help you sell that message, because you might have shared that many a time internally, uh, we would love to be that Trojan horse for you. We, we do that a lot, and it, and it does help to hear it from somebody else. So we would love to help you. But if nothing else, this is a great time to get ahead of this and then think about strategic differentiation of your own portfolio with at least hero skews maybe new brands or sub-brands for your key retailers so that they have something special um, that serves not just the value, but obviously some, some, something that only that retailer's audience would care about or, or is in line with their clean beauty or sustainability or health and wellness focus. So uh, pr private labels and exclusives are going to be a huge challenger to the big brands if we don't play to those strategies as well. And without further ado, we've come to the end of Cyber Monday today. However, as always, don't cry too long because we've got another one. Uh, at, and we set it for after everyone comes back from hopefully a few weeks of at least a little bit more relaxation um, during, the, during the, the, the core summer months here in the U.S. But hopefully you're taking some vacation, even a staycation at some point, just for uh, some rest and relaxation and some recharge. But we've got our next one. Um, Cyber Monday in our series on July 11th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Um, again, if you've signed up, you may are, you may automatically get uh, an, an invite to that. So uh, we'd love to have you. Again, it's always free. And then we've got a whole host of events coming up, as I mentioned, Amazon, Target, and Pet um, in, in the fall. But we've got some other pop-up pop events that we'll add to our calendar as well. 
Um, much more to, to come, uh, you know, to, in store to come for you. Always happy to have you all join us live and or on demand. And if you have questions or comments, obviously feel free to shoot them to us um, at any time. Um, you, again, hello at firstmover.com. We'll get both of us. Or you can re- reach out to individuals and we'll share each other's, you know, share, share feedback between us. But we're always optimizing what we're doing and what we're talking about based on your feedback. Everything that we do to date over the last two years has been driven by you. Um, you are the first mover. You've always been one. We're just making an official by calling our community what it really is. And we'd love to have you follow us on LinkedIn. And please join us again at our future events. And like we said, if we can help you with any uh, strategy projects, capability projects, connect you to someone that you don't know that you want to get connected to on the brand or agency side, we know almost everybody would love to help uh, you know, make the match um, in any way we can. Um, and, and we can help you with, uh, again, advisory or custom training programs, too, to help bring your whole organization along for the ride. So um, without any further ado, I'll let you back to your day and, and powering through your week. But we will see you at our next event. Have a great one, everyone.